Hey everyone, this is Jack from the Cardboard Herald, and I am joined by Kyle Frost of Give Pause Hobby here, and we are talking about our favorite expansions. Kyle's got five, I've got five, and we are going to be building up the definitive, totally objective, irrefutable list of the greatest expansions that have ever been designed, created, published, whether they have been played by us or not, the ones that we haven't played, they don't count, they cannot be considered. Are you ready for this, Kyle? I am. Don't add us. It's science, everybody who's watching this. Yep. It's gone through the machine. This is absolutely going to be etched <laughs> into stone for time immemorial. And as a little bit of bookkeeping, I do want to say that this is something that kind of came up as uh, Kyle and I are fans of each other's channels, and we thought that it would be a, a great little, you know, team up, like a Marvel team up or something. You know, I'm not sure which of us is Luke Cage and which of us is Iron Fist, but... We are doing two videos. We have this one that's going up on the Cardboard Herald, and then we'll have another list that's going to be our five love at first play games each. So hopefully 10 by the end, unless we have some overlap going on at Give Pause Hobby. So be sure to check that out. And I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to need you first. Before we get into the top five, Kyle, what was your scientific reasoning for picking some of your expansions? Um, for me, it was uh, expansions that really took a game to the next level. And for some of the ones on my list, there were games that were already well-established. Like they were hitting the table regularly. And then the expansion hit and the game just kind of got bumped up. And um, at least for one, it was something that took the game from something I was not at all uh, interested in. Um, and it brought it like way onto my radar. Um, so they're, they're games, like expansions that had an impact on the base game. Uh, on mine, the ones that I was looking at, because there are tons of different types of expansions out there, and there, there's so many things that you could do in order to kind of cultivate this list, but I use some of the same kind of perspective when getting my five, and I didn't really want to reward fixing a bad game. Like, if it made it, like, the best game ever, then maybe I would consider that. But I didn't want to take a bad game and then an expansion where it's like, okay, well, this made it an okay game. Yes, it's a <laughs> substantial increase in quality, but it's not taking a good game and making it great. It's just taking a bad game and making it okay. Yeah. Also, I, I really have a problem uh, with having expansions where there's just aspects of it that I fundamentally do not use. Uh, and if there's a big chunk of an expansion, no matter how good part of the expansion is, I just, I, I can't make it work. And I think that may come up uh, as we uh, discuss some of these things on our list, but that sounds like a great starting point. And let's uh, go ahead and get it started with your number five. What do you got, Kyle? Awesome. Um so on that last note, you might be queuing into this because uh, as you're saying it, I realize they're a part of this expansion. I don't really touch, but it is a pandemic in the lab. Um, and uh, on the brink was the expansion that like really brought pandemic to like where it was when I first got the game because I had the purple disease. And I love that. Um, but after a while, just getting used to, or having to get those five cards to cure the disease is just such an onerous task. It's such a bummer um, that to, like get rid of everything else that when I played in the lab for the, I didn't even know it was around um, the first time I played it and it 
it was something I, I couldn't even imagine going back to playing uh, Pandemic the other way. Um, it also has the little vials, the little, like, you keep it, you moved it. Um, yeah, yeah the, those are so adorable and they just feel good to have around. But you're right. I think of Pandemic and when I think of the, the mandatory next expansion that gets recommended on the brink is the one that everyone says this is the next step. So, like, can you think of a fundamental reason why you would recommend this one over on the brink? I, I, I said it before, and I'll come back to again, that, like, five card to cure it is just such this, like, overarching... I mean, that's what Pandemic is. Um, but it's 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 nothing, aside from the one guy who can have more cards in his hand, um, it's it's... You can't really get around it. But In the Lab allows you to go off and do things in a different way and piecemeal out that that, uh, you know, curing the disease. So it's more of a process rather than like, oh, I finally did the thing. Thank goodness I can get rid of these cards <laughs> and I can look at the next thing. Like you can dole it out. And also it makes, I think it helps with the quarterbacking problem a little bit because the person who's in the lab title line, they can like focus on that. Um, and the people can focus on their different parts as opposed to, you know, the, the one, uh, uber brain telling everyone the best turn that they should be taking. Yeah, I like that. It kind of adds a level of asymmetry and not just asymmetric powers, but also like fundamental different roles in what you are trying to achieve in the game. Well, my number five is a, an expansion that is really two expansions. So already I'm kind of cheating here. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, Champions of Midgard, Valhalla, and Dark Mountains. Now, I consider these one expansion. They were released as separate retail products at the same time. And I don't know. To me, I like throwing it all in at once. I feel like they were designed as compatible expansions and they were just separated in kind of a shady way. I mean, sure, Gray Fox, do whatever you want to do. Uh, and I know that some people may like one over the other. But to me, it makes one cohesive, super indulgent experience. Now, there, there are aspects of this expansion that that make it just feel like there's so much on the table. Uh, but this game, the, the fundamental nature of dice chucking in a worker placement game in order to play these different probabilities kind of makes me want this massive buildup of all kinds of stuff and having all the different options for how you approach the game and interact with monsters just gives it this, this brand new feel. And bottom line, if you hated Champions of Midgard because you were like, dude, what happens when you get a bad roll? Well, now the souls of your Vikings can be spent on awesome stuff. It's a win-win scenario if your Vikings die in a blaze of glory. This is not a game that I've had a chance to play yet, but, um, you know, bad rolls leading to uh, Viking souls being used as currency for something awesome. Uh, I can absolutely get behind that 100%. And low-key favorite thing about the expansion, I mean, you have the new dice that are in there. You have the leader dice. You have the pink berserkers. You have the green archers or rangers or whatever they are. Uh, but you also have the Burgazars coming from the mountains. And I'm not sure that that's how it's pronounced, but that's how it's pronounced in my house. So just saying Burgazars over and over again between my wife and I and whoever else is playing just feels fantastic. It's a game I like already. And this kind of takes it to 11 in a way that I feel like the, the theme really deserves. Yeah, I mean, that, like... Uh... What is it? Spinal Tap, right? Exactly, exactly. So. <laughs> All right, so my number four uh, for best expansions is uh, Lords of Waterdeep um, and the Scoundrels of Skullport. And 
Um, this there have been games that I've kind of like gone on to from Lords of Waterdeep, um, but I just remember uh, when that expansion came out, it wasn't it not the just that it added the two. Uh, this was one they did not separate into two box expansions, um, and uh, but it fulfilled anyone who like got right in on Lords of Waterdeep. I think you can remember that sixth player. Uh, yeah, the exactly. Agent. There's a little gray meeple icon on the board, and you're like, "What's going on?" I mean, yeah. come on, guys. And I can't remember. I should have. I should have looked at the the rule book to see if it mentioned it. I can't remember if they were just like coming soon. Um, <laughs> but when the expansion came out, I was like, "It has a purpose." Um, I never played them because I always play the Harpers, and I don't. That's the one game where I only play that faction, and I, it makes no difference. So I don't know why, but it just gives you those the options. Like again. Uh, to 11 with the Undermountain expansion, where just everything is bigger. And then um, the Scoundrels of Skullport with the the skulls, just like watching your friends either become like these like goopy, evil, just like under city dwellers of just, you know, doing all the back alley trading and getting all this corruption or becoming just like the total rules followers and total buzzkills. You're like, <laughs> no corruption for me. It's, it's such a fun, uh, such, such a fun change to that game. Yeah. It was this really strong contender for my list. I mean, Lords of Waterdeep is one of my favorite games, even still after playing it a bajillion times, I still love coming back to it. And this expansion is something that I always use. The only reason why I haven't included it is because my Undermountain remains neglected. The only time when I play with Undermountain is when I have someone who's like, I don't like the corruption stuff. It's dumb. <laughs> and I'm like, you're dumb, but okay, fine. At least we'll play with something. And so like, it, it feels to me like I, I have this chaff on the side and that that may be uh something that other people get a lot of use out of. I mean, it does feel really good when you're like, dude, I got a 40 point quest, but at the same time, the the core that I love is the the Skullport stuff and having to separate out the, the different cards for Undermountain versus Skullport or if you combine them all. And I never really liked the mega game of everything there in contrast to, um, uh, to Champions of Midgard, which is a game that gets a lot of comparison to uh, Lords of Waterdeep. But I... I I think that it's just such a fantastic expansion. It's something that I always include, except for maybe teaching someone. But even then, I mean, it, it's something that I, I use a lot. Now, going on to my number four uh, is kind of similar. I, I view it as a similar type of expansion, and that's Concordia Salsa, which... I am someone who eats a lot of burritos and tacos and that kind of stuff. And so I think of salsa as, you know, a spicy sauce that I'm going to add to my game. I do not think of it as salt. But then again, I am not a centurion living in the Roman Empire. So I guess that makes sense. Have you played Concordia? I have not, no. Okay. Well, this is one of those games that you got to get to the table, especially if you like German-style Euro games. And, and to me, Concordia is kind of the the apex of that. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of love out there for the Cavernas and Agricolas. So there's a lot of love for the power grids out there. And uh, this, to me, just represents a, a particular style of game, uh, an economic Euro that uh, the expansion, 
I think takes it to a whole new level. It introduces a new resource to it. And more fundamentally than that, it gives you a, a choice, a reason why you might not exhaust all of your resources uh, earlier on in the game as opposed to later. If you don't know, in Concordia, you play a card from your hand, you resolve the action on that card, and then once you play your final card, your Tribune or Tribunal, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the actual terminology, you pick up your entire hand. You can play that card at any point, so you could play a card and then pick up your one card in the discard, or you could play your entire hand out, which is what you normally do, because you don't want to lose efficiency and momentum. But this introduces this market of one-time and permanent uh, like powers that can be acquired to, based off of how many cards that you pick up. And there may be a really swank one in the four card slot. And you're like, well, I still have four more cards left in my hand, but I want to pick up the cards that I have in order to get that before someone else does. It just introduces a really nice dynamic that, that messes with what is the optimization of the game, but in a way that feels empowering instead of disruptive. Right. Like, like, uh, in a totally different game on the century golem edition or spice road, where like, you want to pick those cards up as few times as possible, yeah, but exactly, if there's a exactly. to, to short circuit that that would be a super interesting, like gameplay element. So that sounds, I, okay. It, it it is definitely on my list of in the after times yeah. <laughs> to get disabled. Yeah, when we can actually travel and I can go down there, you can come up here, then we can actually right. play it together at a convention. That sounds fantastic. So what's next on your list? So mine is also actually uh, economic uh, Euro, um, which is Tesla versus Edison and uh, the Powering Up expansion. So this is the one I was referencing where the game Tesla versus Edison completely went past me without like tipping my interest whatsoever. And I, I, I don't honestly know why, because um, even the base game is something that would be interesting to me. But the when I did get interested was when um, Powering Up was on Kickstarter. And uh, it just adds so much. And it also uh, like just sort of adjusts the way the base game plays. It adds um, the, the Automa, you know, your robot opponents, which is a, I love whether it's just me playing solo or adding them to the other meat pegs around the table. It's just another, like something that everyone can be like, Oh, robo Tesla, uh, and just get angry together. But it adds um, the, the headquarters, like you're building up your, your asymmetric. Cause they're all different by the scientists, which in the first game I could see where you wouldn't, they all have like a different power, but the headquarters cards are all different. So your like strategies in the game can be completely different based on, and honestly, there are some, it sort of pigeonholes you, like certain scientists, if you're going for the, like, Zerg rush the map with products or whatever, you're probably not going to do so well with a certain scientist. So that, you know, has to be taken into account. But the the event cards are in there, the Madam CJ Walker, who's awesome, um, the and the end game, again, I never played the base game, but I heard from most people who who, who enjoy the, the expansion that the end game is just so much more engaging than the base game because the base game was just like add up all your stocks and tie to whoever has money in hand and stocks are like a huge part of the board they're a huge part of the game but you get points for so many other things again one of those things is completely different based on your scientist so it just adds like a ton to the game and it's one of my all-time favorite games 
you know, this is another one of those critical darlings that for whatever reason, I just haven't been exposed to. Like I, I've seen it, I've heard discussions about it and just in the myriad of games that I could get to the table that, you know, I, I could see at conventions and that kind of stuff for whatever reason, never got to it. Uh, but mm. I have to know for uh, prioritization here of how soon I got to get it to the table, uh, is Tesla as depicted as played by David Bowie? Uh, he is not. This okay. is okay. Well, that that brought it down a few uh, notches there. And as yeah. Edison, do you end up being forced as the player to electrocute an elephant to death? I'm not gonna say Edison needs to, but it is in the game oh, again. Oh my god! Like, okay. So it's it's so like it's so cool. And this is a game that my there are certain games like my wife, which is like. I don't know how you like this game. And this is one. And she's like, no, we're not playing that game. And I'm just like, but there's so many historical things in it. And that is absolutely one of the things that is in the game. But wow, again, wow. it is not Edison specific. <laughs> I, I can't tell if that makes me want to play it more or less. But either way, it's a really intriguing game and a, a really good recommendation by you. Uh, now for my uh, number three uh, I have Viticulture's Tuscany Essential Edition, and this actually kind of dovetails into what I was thinking about when we were just spitballing ideas for lists that we could do, and Top 5 Expansions was one that I thought about because we've had a lot of really good expansions in the last year. Uh, one of those, uh, I personally am a really big fan of the new Wingspan expansion, Oceania, but I really haven't had enough time to let it kind of ruminate you know to to kind of absorb to make a objective uh decision that this is permanently going to be etched in history as one of the all-time great expansions <laughs> but it drew on a lot of the feelings i had for tuscany which i do think is just a, a monumental expansion now there is a little bit of weird history here viticulture came out then Tuscany came out, and then Tuscany had a bunch of garbage in it. And so Jamie Stegmeyer went, okay, we're going to make Viticulture Essential Edition, which takes the best parts of Tuscany and incorporates them. And I think Viticulture Essential Edition is one of the best board gaming packages ever made. Like, if someone was like, you know, what what's an easy recommend as far as a board game? I mean, that's right up there with, like, Jaws of the Lion. Just, like, this is so cohesive and a great experience for beginners and experienced players alike. But then Tuscany Essential Edition was just a few modules that could be wrapped in into that on top of what was already put into essential edition taking out all of the 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 chaff the garbage that never really made sense in the original tuscany and it's glorious my favorite thing about it is that it breaks up the two seasons of viticulture essential edition into four different seasons and that creates such a, a cool momentum of play and considerations that aren't really in other board games these four distinct worker placement phases within a single round uh, and it adds the um, addition of special workers that could be acquired that uh, you have some of the most adorable uh, man and woman professional meeples that have ever existed. The area control aspect uh, is okay, but more fundamentally, it's another source of resources that you can acquire in a pinch uh, to help you out. I, I think that Tuscany Essential Edition is just like so polished and, and so perfect uh, of an expansion. Right. And it gives, just like you said, going from two to four, it just gives you that many more 
I mean, gaming is all about those interesting decisions and and those like moments where you're like, it's it's working or it's not working. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, it, it's a great addition to the game for sure. So what's um, next? So for my next one is uh, Spirit Island Branch and Claw. And um, this one I, I, I really wrestled with because I'm loving uh, going through Spirit Island uh, Jagged Earth. Um, again, I, I don't know what it is. This is two in a row. The Spirit Island was a game that completely just like went right past me. And, but this one, I was consciously like, I don't think I like that game. And I finally, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to credit where credit's due. The Cardboard Herald was like you com- coming back to Spirit Island enough times. It finally <laughs> was like, you know what? I'm going to check this out. And and as soon as I played Spirit Island, I, it was it was just awesome and i immediately looked for branch and claw and i I was lucky enough to find it and the fact that it takes the game that you know if you can kind of math out some things and in base game spirit island and it just like throws a couple of things in your way some some obstacles sometimes it helps you out with the events that go on and the different um you know the different tokens that you put on the, the map i'm not a huge fan of the two spirits that are in uh, Branch and Claw, they, they're not two of my favorite, but the, the way that it changes the game makes it, for me, a more critical expansion than Jagged Earth, whose spirits I, like, across the board, am liking a lot more than uh, Branch and Claw. I, I did want to include this, but there's a couple reasons why it just didn't rate on my list. You know, things like made it a little bit murkier. It is something that I love, and I do always play with the events and the island tokens I think are fantastic. But it, it's not something that's secret that this expansion, uh, Branch and Claw, was designed alongside the original Spirit Island, and... Our Eric Royce has talked about how it was originally intended to be played as one experience. This was an element of the game from the get-go that they ended up breaking out in order to make it a slightly more accessible game. I'm not saying that that was a bad idea, but it's been hard for me to really view it as an expansion because it was released alongside the original game. It was designed alongside the original game and by designer intent, it was part of the original game. So it it was just one of these ones where I was like, do I include it? Do I not? And I, I just ended up not putting it on the list. The other part is that the best parts of Branch and Claw the events and the, um, or, or I guess not best parts because I do really like both those spirits, but the, the things that make it evolve or, or change or level up spirit Island, the events and the Island tokens are also included in the more recent jagged earth and jagged earth has what more than four times the amount of new spirits to add. But then again, jagged earth was this new expansion and it didn't necessarily innovate in the way that Branch and Claw did, so I didn't include that either, even though I really love both expansions. So I'm glad it's getting the credit where credit is due uh, on your list here. I just uh, I, I just didn't end up putting it there. It's also how I carry all my spirits in that box, because I that is, that is hands down my favorite box in the series, is the Branch and Claw one. So all of them are just this like dense brick of awesomeness all inside <laughs> yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my next one uh, is kind of an interesting one, uh, and it may be more sentimental reasons than uh, anything else, and that's uh, Caverna, the Forgotten Folk. 
are you a Caverna fan or just an Uwe Rosenberg fan in general? The Agricolas, the Cavernas, the Patchworks, that kind of stuff? I do like a lot of his uh, his stuff, and I have played Caverna, but I haven't played with uh, Forgotten Folk. Okay, yeah. So Caverna is just this immense sandbox of a game, and some people love that, some people hate it. To me, I like that this game just is full of possibilities, and you can kind of just shape your own destiny in the game, which is really great. But it does eventually start feeling kind of samey after you've played it a lot. And I've played it a lot. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but everything is always available from the get-go. And there was a fan variant that started on the BGG forums where someone posted like, hey, I'm trying to come up with some asymmetric powers. I don't know, just fantasy things. We'll see how this works. And I remember that I had this game flagged as a game to send me notifications on uh, on BGG whenever someone creates a new thread. And I was like, oh, this seems kind of cool. I uh, play tested a couple of them and was like, oh, here's some feedback, along with tons of other people. You know, I wasn't the only one in this. Uh, but it was something that I noticed early on, and I thought this was kind of neat. And lo and behold, he ends up getting contacted by the publisher to be like, yo, what if we talk to Uwe Rosenberg about making this, like, the real deal? And... Sure enough, like Mark Wahlberg in what was that Rockstar, uh, where he right. got to be the the lead singer of Steel Dragon or whatever, this <laughs> ends up becoming the real deal and a legit expansion that creates asymmetric powers for you to play as, and that's a great thing in almost every game to have asymmetric abilities. And it adds a lot of replayability to the game because they they each introduce new buildings that replace other buildings that can be accessed by anyone. Anyone can purchase these buildings, but it also kind of changes what the limitations are in the, the sandbox of the game itself. So it, it just gives this nice sort of, um, again, disruption to what you anticipate in Caverna when you sit down to play. It gives you all these imaginative powers, and it has a great story attached to it. I, I really love it. Yeah, I was going to say that the origin story is almost worth it alone, just to be like, hey, see this guy's name here <laughs> next to this other, like, much more well-known name here? Like, yeah, that's that's just awesome. Um, okay, so we're at the the peak, the peak of Expansion Mountain, the, the my peak at least. Um, and that is uh, Root Underworld. And uh, this is one that, like, part of me is, like, absolutely hands it. Like, it's, it, this is absolutely the peak. And another part of me is, like, well, the reason I started my channel in the first place was to make content about the Clockwork expansion. Like, I was so excited about that expansion when I, during the Underworld um, Kickstarter that I was like, is, is there not anything... And there were some things that I could seek out, just like get scratch that itch before I had the game. Um, but, you know, when people have asked about if I'm just getting into Root, which expansion should I get next? Hands down, I tell them Underworld um, for two reasons. One, as much as I love the Clockwork Edition and anytime I can get more Kyle Farron art, I do. Right, <laughs> right, just, totally. It's a good rule to live by. Um, but you can get the better bot project files for free on board game geek. And they're not all the same. And I mean, some would say, you know, with the director's uh, cut edition, like they've even gone beyond the clockwork expansion. Now you're not going to get the pretty like pieces, but you can people PNP stuff all the time. But the, 
what's included in Underworld is just so good. And the at the top of that is a third militant faction that really stands toe-to-toe with either the cats or the birds. Because while cats is an easy one to kind of pitch to people and get on the board, I found that birds can be a tougher one to teach or for people to stomach, like just that, you know, programming aspect of it. So to say like, here are these moles that you get to like poop out all over the map. And like you put the little crowns on their heads and it's, it, it opens up so many more uh, variations for the game, but the Corvids are incredible. The two maps are a ton of fun um, and they add like really interesting twists into the game. It's just, you know, it's just such a, such a great expansion that I can't imagine. I, I love Riverfolk too, but I feel like they went and that's, that's kind of known as like the weird one, <laughs> like the, and, it, and it's, it's, which is great. Like I, I love the otters and the lizards. Lizards are one of my favorite factions, but they do not, they do not open up the, uh, the variety of matchups nearly as much as underworld. And to me that, that makes that expansion just like absolutely the first, if you like root base game underworld. Yeah. And it, it provides that stability. Like you were saying that that to me is the most important thing about it is that the moles allow for so many more matchups, especially at three player, you know, you can have mm-hmm. your one janky weird faction like the otters or lizards <laughs> on the side, so long as the moles are kind of tying things together or the cats or the birds, but you need one of those anchor factions. And so that still just exponentially increases the variety of things that you can play. And some of the most imaginative Kyle Farron artwork is in those moles. I mean, I love looking at the, the underground duchy, the kingdom there. They look so great. And I'm Alaskan, so I'm surrounded by ravens constantly. They're important to Alaskan heritage. They are hanging out in my front yard all the time. They are like one of the symbols of Alaska. So having these like little dastardly corvids throwing out bombs and snare traps everywhere was like, yes, this is the best. <laughs> they're so, the only thing is like when you call them the, the birds with like the eerie dynasty, it's tough because now they're not the birds. They're those birds. <laughs> well, well um, even still, you can't just say corvids and expect everyone's going to know what's up because yes, it is the corvid conspiracy, but blue jays are corvids. You know, when you get right down to it, they are part of that family of uh birds so i mean what i'm really saying is cole patrick get your king's play chess on fine grains of sand down before you start naming all of your different uh factions within root uh but yeah that that expansion sounds great i'm really excited or not sounds great that expansion is really great i'm excited for the expansion on the horizon where they're introducing the minor factions and I I think the only reason why I didn't include Root, because again, one of my absolute favorite games was it just didn't, uh, for me, um, like it it didn't elevate Root. It like expanded Root, which you could argue that's exactly what an expansion should do. Uh, But I already love base game Root. And I think that if you sit down and play base game Root, it's just as good as playing Root with any of the other factions or any of the other maps. It just adds more variety, which is so good as well. But in how I was ordering these, it it just didn't uh, come up there. But I I love everything that they put out for that game, and I can't wait to see more. Um, Which brings me to my number one, which is... Uh, maybe no surprise for people who have watched my channel uh, a bunch, but it's Terraforming Mars 
Prelude. Now, this is interesting because Terraforming Mars is, again, I would say right now, Root, Spirit Island, Terraforming Mars are kind of homogenized into my top three, and you're making me pick between my babies if I have to pick one of those. But Terraforming Mars is so, so good. But unlike Spirit Island and Root, where I love everything that's come out for it, Terraforming Mars, I'm kind of like, uh, pretty much everything that's come out except for Prelude and then the alternate maps have been, I might play them if I really feel like I need to change something up. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't really care for. It's okay. Sometimes it's kind of bad. Sometimes it's pretty good, but nothing knocks it out of the park except for Prelude. Now, are right. you a TM guy, terraforming Mars player? You know, I I have tried both base and and Prelude, and that was one that I kind of was like, oh, this is going to be one I'm going to like, and, and it just and didn't work for you. But it's it's not one uh, that's like at the top of my list. Right. But I I absolutely you know everything that I hear about Prelude or I heard about Prelude before I played, I was like, okay, I totally understand what they're saying now because I played base game first as many people did and then did that one. I was like, okay, I see what this is going for and what it does. Yeah. So, I mean, terraforming Mars, I love the engine building aspect and I love that you cultivate this, this engine with such precision as you add more cards and it just becomes this expansive automated factory of resource production. And it just, feels really good for me. Those are the things that I really love about it is just introducing one thing after another and then you start just seeing all the parameters for terraforming the planet go up uh, extremely rapidly by the end of the game. Uh, and that feels really good. Now, if you don't draft the cards, which I don't always love drafting when playing because it kind of slows things to a halt, you're not always getting the cards that are going to add to your engine or your specific thing. But Prelude introduces just this, like, kickstart to the game. It's a very small expansion. It's the most concise expansion on, I think, either of our lists at this point. Uh, but it just gives you these four cards, of which you choose two at the beginning, and they give you a boost in something, either resource production, extra cards, extra money, um, or other resources right off the bat, or, or something that's going to further give you a nudge just beyond your little um, corporate identity card that gives you your slight asymmetric power in that. And it dramatically speeds up the start of the game, and gives you that that little edge to lean into so much earlier, and it just feels amazing. I absolutely adore it, and I think that uh, if you were measuring impact to game for the the size of component introduction ratio, Prelude is probably one of the best expansions of all time, truly objectively. Just like you get to skip first gear, like you get to just start making the more interesting decisions because you don't have to like, oh, I need to do this just to get this resource. I'm, I'm You're already a little bit further down the road. Totally, totally. All right. Well, that is going to do it. We actually ended up with 10. So now this is the definitive 10 greatest expansions of all time. We 
know that, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. If you want to let us know, just know your opinion's wrong if it's not one of these 10. But please do let us know in the comments uh, what your favorite expansions are, what are the ones that you think that we missed, or if you think we're completely wrong on some of these picks here, particularly on the brink of all you pandemic lovers. You know, go after uh, Kyle here. Uh, and be sure to check out the sister episode to this that will go up on Give Pause Hobbies uh, um, channel. And you can uh, see us talk about the top five each of the games that we loved at first play. And definitely give the whole subscribe and check out all the other content on that channel. Kyle, it has been awesome having you on here. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk about expansions, except for I'm already thinking like what expansions are going to come out now and like potentially break the list, which is, it's, it's a, a blessing and a curse to be part of a hobby. Yeah. That's just yeah. Constantly expanding. You're like definitive 10. And then something comes out and you're like, let's go back and re-record it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, well then I'm looking forward to re-recording this, talking yeah. about how we were so wrong a year, two years, five years from now. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to doing more of this with you. All right. Thanks again for coming on to the show, Kyle. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this video, we have all kinds of other reviews, interviews, and recommendations via writing, podcast, and video here on our channel and website, CardboardHerald.com. Our content is audience supported. So if you want to show your support, please visit our Patreon. Thank you so much for watching. This has been the Cardboard Herald.